Rolling. <laughs> Do you guys have a, a jingle or something like you that you kick off with? Yeah, it's a sing-along, though, so you have to kind of catch his catch. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. It's sort of like a doo-doo, doo-doo, scoot-doo-doodly-doo, scoot-doo-doo-doo, scoot-doo-doodly-doo, scoot-doo-doo-doo. This is the Creative Journey Podcast. Brought to you by... Simeon Schlicker. Live from Lime Street. It is the Creative Journey Podcast with special guest, Gordy. Don't know if he wants me to use his last name. Bargainer. Bargainer. Cuddle bear. Sorry, Frank told me that story. Snuggle bear to you. Oh, snuggle bear. Uh, ladies Gordon and gentlemen, welcome back to the Creative Journey Podcast. Uh, it's your boy, um, Simeon Schlicker. What's up with your um, boy? I already did the interview. Today we have awesome special guest, uh, Gordy. And Gordy is just an all-around creative person and very uh, just music good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether he likes it or not, can I, he's can, music I, can good. I quote you on my resume? Um, <laughs> Simeon thinks I'm all around music good. End quote. <laughs> Take that to the bank. Um, I already snorted. We're not even a minute we're in. We're not even a minute in. Um, <laughs> you do actually, uh, if you go, I don't know. I don't think your Instagram's private. I don't know what your Instagram is. You did produce something. You have that in your bio still. I think that was like a year ago or something like that. More than that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not good at updating um, Facebook social me- media fronts. You're totally fine. You're you're in good company here when it comes to that. I just post little clips of my podcast yeah. and my brother ranting about his on his podcast. So that's it. And motorcycle stuff. I caught his energy hard. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Makaya, keep doing your thing, man. Shout out to Makaya. <laughs> I I don't I don't know him like I know Simeon, but I mean he's got. The the fire is contagious. It's I a, like I like I like his fire. It's a it's a lot. Of, he has pushed me to do a lot of things. He's a good big brother. So, speaking yeah, I of, got I got one of those. Yeah, speaking of, we have to bring it up. <laughs> Gordy is Frank's uh, younger brother. Um, Only in age, yes. <laughs> in spirit, <laughs> we're all equal here. Um, That's right. Yeah, I couldn't ask for a better one. So we do have a little bit of a topic here as we continue on with season two uh, that we want to hear <coughs> Frank rant about, which we've already heard a little bit, and <laughs> Gordy's thoughts on it <laughs> as well. Uh, Gordy, I do have a few like canned questions for you, but we always like to start off with like kind of your history and your background um, before we get into that one big question that you wanted to talk about that I liked. Sure. Yeah. So let's hear it, sir. What do you want to know first? Where, where, where well, should we start? Who is Gordy Bargainier? Yeah, where do you want to start? <laughs> um, Moment of birth. I don't care, you know. Okay. Um, so you're if, me- if you're just hearing this voice for the first time, um, if you want to know what my face looks like, just listen to the podcast. Perfect. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> born and raised in uh, Lancaster County. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that's and great. that's, and that's fine. I like um, you even more now. <laughs> um, let's see. Fun, fun fact about my early development. Um, 
I think the first thing that I ever remember enjoying as as soon as I could walk was getting better at running and I would do this thing where I I would run head first into the walls <laughs> and uh, mom would always try to get me to not do that but one time I just got so carried away with loving it and I think I knocked myself out and blacked out <laughs> it's just like charging into the part into, bighorn into the bedroom wall and um and then I blacked out and mom rushed me to the hospital and as soon as she carried me in got me out of the car and carried me into the hospital I I I came to and it was a false alarm um but I yeah for for everything that is going to transpire in this in this podcast I'm just going to blame it on that okay <laughs> Been banging on things ever since. That's gonna be my. That's gonna be my savvy disclaimer for for the rest of this. Um, I like music. <laughs> I like to make music, and um, yeah, it brings me a lot of joy. Um, it brings me a lot of everything. It's brought me a lot of grief too, and mm. a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of angst, and it's just been everything I've needed it to be at any level of, of trying to play it or understand it or chase after it. It's just been, it's been a good, it's been a good outlet for me. And, uh, I was lucky to discover that as a young age. Um, first instruments were pots and pans and, um, same. If I, okay, I, I guess I should paint things more broad. Um, I was, I was homeschooled my entire schooling career. Um, I did, I did inner city preschool, um, in downtown Columbia at a place called the wonder club. Nice. Um, that was great. (laughs) That was awesome. I think I was one of, of two white kids there and my mom kind of wanted that to be a thing because she wanted me to be like used to other people of, of different backgrounds, of different skin tones. You know, she, that was just something that she really cared about. Yeah. And, um, and so I remember like it was, you know, first grade came around and I was, you know, it was like all white kids. <laughs> I remember that kind of feeling weird. Um, and it took some getting used to. Um, so that, that segues into the next thing. Um, my parents tried to get me to do as many extracurricular activities as possible. So I played soccer for a year. Um, I had a knack for baseball. I really did like baseball. Got into playing catcher um, and like outfield as well. And but I did chess club. I did ping pong club. Um, I did like a, I did summer reading programs okay. mostly at the the Mount Joy Library. Okay, um, that was my favorite. Besides besides like the Lancaster City Library, which is like the biggest archive. Got it. Um, yeah. But as a kid, I really liked the Mount Joy Library, um, and the Mountville one too. Anyway, links <laughs> um, library system. Shout out. So, right. oh, uh, <laughs> once I got into high school, I started doing plays and musicals, and sports kind of took a back seat to all of that. Eventually, it just weaned out. Like you know, by sports. Hello, thespian, <laughs> thespian Gordy, um, which I really loved. I think that unlocked something very profound into understanding who I am as a person. And I still look back on that particular phase of my life as like, there was so much that I, even now I think there's so much that I didn't observe in myself from what those years taught me. 
such as like the complex of everybody in high school is actually a professional actor because because <laughs> like we're so all going through so much yeah you think like well regardless of what any kid in high school is going through there is still we're all victims of tribalism we're all okay. trying to like mm-hmm. be noticed and liked mm-hmm. and we're trying to quickly quickly with with <laughs> With no space in between, just knit, pick, and cut everything about us that appears socially unlikable. Mm. And I well, it's th- under the microscope, right? Because the the world hasn't quite hit you yet, and and but you're it was still, starting to right, right. Yeah. But you're at that point where it's just about the development of your emotions and 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 on a physical level, your hormones. First and thing to go right? was emotions. <laughs> 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 Buy emotions. For you, for other people, that's the thing that comes out. No, that's out. so not true. Uh, emotions have always been something I thought was uh, was an asset to connecting with people socially. So the more in touch mm-hmm. you were, you oh, are with you your being, emotions. You were being sarcastic. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm I'm also acknowledging that that kind of is a, a tendency for high schoolers. Is like, I I feel bad for kids in high school now because it's just a it's a total with with social media. See, my I was like one of the last to like have a high school. Well, I said I was homeschooled, right? But like to to socialize and like meet a lot of people without having to plan anything with with social media stuff. Mm. So with it, yeah, if somebody was like throwing a party, you would hear about it at homeschool group, or somebody would pass a note, or right? Like it would be this, you know, phone call after phone call, people calling people up. You know, Frank, you remember this, like how it, how this used to happen? Sure, of you course. To hang I mean, out I remember. Somebody. String would, on a can of beans. You first called the person with a car, or if they were, you know, you yeah. were lucky if you had more than one person with a car. Right. I'm talking like 14, 15 yeah. years old, you know? Um, <laughs> and you had to like figure out how to make it work. And talking about it makes me seem really old, but nowadays it's, it, I imagine it's pretty easy to, to, to schedule a hangout. <laughs> sure. <laughs> because it's, 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 unless you really want to, it's hard to lose touch with people. Sorry for all the people who I've lost touch with that could be listening to this. Um, yeah, clearly I didn't put the effort in. <laughs> that's a, but to be fair, yeah. if you're listening and that's you, you didn't put in the effort either. Yeah, that's a that's <laughs> because <laughs> the mediums didn't change just for me. Right. I'm, you're, okay. Here's the thing: is you're not at all wrong, and that's something that I, I have to I have to go off here a little bit. That's something that I've always struggled with. It's like, oh right, there's also they didn't want to put the effort in either, and that needs to be okay. Right, yeah. and that's yeah, exactly. There's no hard feelings. Yeah, like the I still love you. It's okay, guys. The, well, back to the tribalism thing. You can't manage some, all of these relationships that we have now. Sure, we're, we're our, you know what I mean. We're the population density. I think has gotten to a point where like we can't really manage all of the relations that we have in our lives anymore. Because I don't know. There's there's got to be a threshold for it where it's like, is it fifty people? Is it is it eight? Is it a hundred? <laughs> yeah. Is it is it a thousand? You know, I don't think we figured it out yet. Um, but you hmm. can't. It's hard to manage real relationships um, past a certain number. I think. I think I've always been fortunate enough, fortunate enough, to to be where I reached the the maximum cap of what most people's close tight circle of friends would be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I felt like I always had that and then blessed with a few more even outside of that like there were like i don't know do, do people make like a lists and b lists of like top friends 
or something like that. Sure, like, it's the people who you would be in your wedding and the people who wouldn't. Not in specific ways yet. That's but, why Joy and I had no bridal party. This is a, you know, too many smart. too many toes to step yeah. on. <laughs> that's smart. No, also, no, that's not the reason. It's just so much easier to plan a wedding without a wedding party. Um, well, we don't, I mean, we don't put real terms to it yet. You know who's in like a, a specific sort of hierarchy of closeness to it you. Sounds really, but eventually technology is going to help us do that. I think, and but when I say help, I'm I'm being sarcastic, like but like T-Mobile. Well, like who's in your Fave Five data plan? You're going to see a lot of that. I mean, back in like <laughs> the MySpace that. days, they did it. You had a top, you know, people. Um, you can set people to VIP status on your on your email accounts mm-hmm. so that those pop up with a different highlighted either color or or access to you emergency contact and i think even my phone isn't aren't some of the social meatball platforms doing something like that too where it's like you you'll have a sort of hierarchy of access to to who's who gets your attention faster instagram if you look at somebody's stories they'll show up first right on so see in my in my opinion we don't need social media to prioritize our social circles no we don't we're all insecure we're all insecure enough to do that ourselves (laughs) yeah yeah. And but insecurity is the word for me that I'm that I would use to describe that notion is because being 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 set on surviving socially. And this goes back to like I say like whatever whatever background you're from, like whatever your home life was like, right. There's this there's this thing in you that I think's in everybody, this like need to to survive and like what are people good for in helping you do that? You know, who's, who's your, who's your closest people? And like, how do they, if you don't have that, then you probably, it's probably going to go towards activities. Um, like, like I'm learning, watching this show for the second time. I finished it the second time. Queen's Gambit. Um, Great show. You know, I, I have no idea what it's like to not have this like corner, you know, a corner of people that are like, there for you and you know if you want to call them and talk to huh. them and stuff like that you know they're they're more than resources they're your friends but you know but they would offer themselves as a as confidants as support um and this girl had none of that she just had chess right and so she would just put her everything put her insecurities and her strengths and her cockiness and her you know her uh feverishness and in, in that survival mechanism that that we all share she would put that into chess and when it didn't work, it would eat her up. And when it did work, she was just waiting for the next game. Right. It was just like, okay, I do well in this world, in this world with, with squares. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. With squares and pieces. I do well. I can survive that. Now I need to stay in that world as long as possible. And I think, so the show to me wasn't about trying to get people to be interested in playing chess or maybe it did rekindle somebody's love for chess. I was in a chess club in middle school. Yeah. Um, didn't really rekindle any love for chess. Um, that wasn't that wasn't my thing. But my parents wanted me to have that experience so I could, I guess, get an education of what I like. Right. As well as, you know, academic education. So I'm really grateful for that. Do you think spectrum. that has relevancy to other creative outlets too? Is it like do people get locked into like cymbals and drums and you know, uh, uh, strings and, and wooden necks. Like, I mean, you know, whatever the things are that you lock into and you spend your time being creative with or excelling at. The tunnel vision of survival, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's like if you don't have a group, then you find 
I'm um, good at knowing snare drums. I'm good at knowing different yeah pa- paint palettes, carving soapstone, right? Or okay, making so furniture be, or whatever it is. Being being raised as a, as a Christian, a believer in in Jesus, that being my worldview that I was more or less born into, I was constantly aware of this narrative of like, what is your who is your master? What's your idol? Like, mm. what's what's your you know, is Jesus your Lord and Savior or is it is it actually the things that you identify with because you're good at and you're using it as a crutch and a survival mechanism because the world is hard? Right. Like, is Jesus doing all that for you or is music doing all that for you? Honestly, music did that for me so much better than I ever gave Jesus the chance of doing for Mm. me in those early years of my personal development. Right. See, I don't think it's as black and white as that as far as, like, who you serve because he gives you a skill set. He gives you gifts that you don't work for. I certainly didn't work for mine. I barely studied at all, and it just sort of showed up. And I think it's the same for you, G. Like, I think you were given these skills. Like, I don't know, I read, uh, what, you read through, like, Leviticus, and it talks about, like, the the building of the yeah. temple and the, the tent, the tent of... Tabernacle, yeah. Yeah. I got um, you, fam. So... There's thanks because I need to figure out how the terms are here. But like, but the, I, I loved reading that there were artisans that they had to lean into that they could rely upon to be the weavers of the tapestries or to be the ones that built these precious things. The there were sculptors that were sort of like these are the sculptors, and and nobody else should even try to mess with it because they were given a gifting, a skill set of this gift. Um, and I think that one way or another, everybody has something, you know, hmm. um, and, and, and it, and it serves as a sort of like, when you don't have a group, it's the thing that helps you survive and keeps you sane. Um, yeah. because you tap into this natural gifting of like, whether it's cooking or running or whatever it is that, that you have a gift for, you lean into that because your group maybe fell apart for whatever reason, or you're too far away from them. I I think back on like when I first moved to California and had no family there, I had to invent one eventually. But when I didn't have one, I found things like culinary interests and I found instruments, you know, and those types of things. Cause I didn't really have friends yet, you know? Right. You see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. But it was music. It was music that took you there, but yeah, it's just it's it's funny even though like music was your was your reason for being there one of your first notions is to figure out who who's my people yeah mm. i say that all though because it's like rather than seeing it as like a master that i served it was more of a friend that i leaned into yeah you feel me like i mean yeah i guess i guess that's like that's the question i think i don't hear being asked a lot is like who's who's your master like who who gets all of the attention in your in your thinking mm-hmm. space. Yeah. Um and I like I don't know. I I think I did I think I did a good job of making people believe that that's what I cared about as far like you know being uh being Christian and like going to youth group, going to mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. and like having those social spheres endless endless activities to do in in that social sphere. But something I came to realize at, at 22, and it was right at the brink. Um, it was right. It was it was New Year's Eve, and I I was a 
a bit of like a like a youth a youth group leader okay. helper something okay. like that got you um and w- with that church and i was we went we went to one thing conference okay yeah in kansas city which is this huge this is pre-covid um <laughs> this this gathering probably had uh somewhere between 50 and 20,000 people okay yeah in in this in this auditorium in this convention center in Kansas City and um something something just like slapped me in the face there and i could tell something was boiling in my in my heart something that like this need to be honest with myself yeah that i had realized that out of out of my willingness to to serve at church like to do music for church or to help with youth ministries and stuff like that um that was this was after ywam too i did a discipleship training school so i was super charged to just be be a part of something bigger than me and and like help out and and notice how people are getting excited about god or like rekindling their faith or whatever creating new expectations of stuff and then all of a sudden all of that just kind of went silent and i'm in a Hmm. sea of thousands of tens of thousands of people right and I actually spent while while there was like really awesome loud worship praise music in this auditorium um while we're while we're like you know that was our waiting for the ball to drop yeah. this is New Year's Eve and everyone's kind of counting down the new year and mm-hmm. like while some people are getting prayed for like people are getting healed you know there's like miracles expected to to take place and a lot of people did testify that they got healed of stuff it was crazy I spent the countdown crying on a bus stop in Kansas city across the street from the convention center. Huh. And I was like, I was bawling, not crying, bawling. Right. And the guy waiting to waiting for the bus next to me did such a good job. Like not making me feel bad. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> like he no doubt just like saw this kid for, who's clearly from out of town, just like murmuring to God to like with himself that was me, and <laughs> um, and I something something clicked. Like I had been doing this because I needed to feel like I belonged to something. Hmm. Like all of these ventures that I thought that I could that I could twist in my head that was that was obedience or servitude, or you know, or some sort of. Seemingly selfless act. That's a lot of S's. Um, <laughs> Seemingly it was, selfless it was, sacrifice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was Gordy's need to belong to something so that I could say that I'm part of something bigger than me so my life has meaning and purpose. Yeah. Um, and it was it was interesting to kind of look at myself in the mirror and have nothing but God to look up to the sky and talk to on that new year's Eve and realize like, I got to minimalize. I don't know what else to do. I just, I need to minimalize everything. Right. Yeah. I need to, I need to actually duck out of everything because I, I don't even sure if I believe in any of this anymore. Not, not Christ, not the gospel. Right. Um, there's I've seen a lot. It would be really hard for me to deny what I've what I've seen, um, but then also what I know to be to be something that's a foundation to me. It'd be really hard to like 
let go of all that. Yeah. I just, I didn't have the language even to just tell like my church, the youth group, um, other things I was a part of worship team. I didn't even have the language. I, I, I kind of just dropped out mm-hmm. and I sent these really sheepish texts saying like, Hey, something's going on with me. I can't really just explain it, but I quit. <laughs> um, I'm moving into the city. I'm, that was like, surely I moved from mom's house and got a place with some friends in the city. And I started to tear, take my life apart and yep. put it back together. Yep. And not, not touch an instrument, um, not try to meet new people. However, I did try one thing um, that was new and different for me. I tried, I bought a sketch pad from CVS and some colored pencils. Interesting. And classic. I would go places and not tell anybody where I was going and just try to still life sketch. Wow. And I sucked at it. It was awful. I'm still <laughs> I'm still terrible. I didn't get much better <laughs> yeah. from that. I'd say it was it was a strong year doing that. This was like two thousand this is like late two thousand sixteen into two thousand seventeen. Okay. And I did it because I felt like I needed something to be admittedly bad at because Mm -hmm. this goes back to what we were saying about like, like like these things that we latch onto and like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be, um, the queen's gambit girl. Her name escapes me right now. Um, it's okay. We can look it up. Beth. Beth. Yes. I didn't want to be like Beth. Um, so that my identity would be hinged on the success of how quickly I could throw myself into something and have sure. a knack for it. Yeah. And, and then measure it quickly. Try to be like this superstar in my head mm-hmm. of like, wow, I'm like good at this thing too now. Like what's next? Super Smash Bros. Oh, right. I'm gonna crush in this too. <laughs> I'm still terrible at that game. Um But yeah, I like I I never presume to think I'm the only one with that complex, but it doesn't matter. Like it that doesn't that's still tribalism, like trying right. to think mm-hmm. like, well, I'm not mm-hmm. the only one who deals with this or that kind of thing. That was like, I was so aware of those, of those arguments in my head. And like, it was so good for me to, to become aware of that. And I think that unlocked creativity. Sure. Actually. Right, right. It actually did because I wasn't doing things. I wasn't doing things because they were trendy. And I also wasn't not doing things because they were trendy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't boycotting because it was popular. I would, if I believed in what it was and something, something, whatever the activity was, if it reached out to me and it pulled me in and I could actually engage with it, it was no longer about who, who else agreed or who disagreed. Right. Cause that's expression's what, supposed to be sloppy sometimes too. That's what the sketch pad was about. Yeah. That's what it taught. I gotta, me. I gotta chime in for a second here and, and, and this will give you maybe something to rip off, riff off of too. Is it like, I feel like what you're talking about, like the bus stop thing was great to hear because it's like being a little bit older than y'all. Like I'm here to say one of the, I think sort of like wisely comical things that God does for us in our trajectory of our lives is like, he sort of forces you to check in once in a while. And by check in, I mean like you'll find these opportunities to dwell on how small you are. <laughs> and and that's part of the balance of it all. And balance is a big word here. Is like we find all these ways to group together. We find all these ways to find similar interests and similar efforts, pulling our efforts together to do 
things, whether it's music or flag football or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But he finds these almost comical ways to sort of check in with you and make sure that you feel small once in a while. And even the sketch pad thing is a way to feel small, like to not be good at something because we see so much talent all the time that's offered up everywhere we go, especially today with social media and with, with our access to everybody's lives. We see all of their best efforts all the time, but we don't see the, the, the piano prodigy from Japan who can shred Chopin but can't cook an egg, you know, <laughs> right. to save his life. Because that's part of the design. That's part of the balance of who we are. You can't be good at all things. You can't know all things. That's his job. It's not mm-hmm. ours. And so he finds these almost like I say. I got to keep using the word comical because I do find comedy in it. I find humor in it. But he finds these ways to sort of like check in with you and make you feel nice and small once in a while. Yeah. Sometimes looking at the sky. You said that too. Is exactly how I anchor sometimes. I look up at the sky and I go, whoa, we are so we. We're just like <laughs> so little, we. we are just little we ants in an ant farm, you know? Um, yeah. So I just wanted to chime in and say that because I, I, find, I find it over the years that there are like these, like these sort of like um, mile markers where it'll be like, okay, it's been a while, it's been a while, it's been a while. I've been really, like, successes have happened, and I've done well for myself in whatever avenue that I've pursued. Every once in a while, it's like, boom, there's a, there's a mile marker where you got to check in and be like, man, I'm, I'm just, I'm little, I'm tiny, I'm insignificant, um, especially without, without the, the beam of connection there, you know. First, before I chime in, feel free to stack pillows sit on my bed whatever you need to if you're uncomfortable just want to make sure you're chill there i'm great um, right here dude okay just making short uh <laughs> feeling good feeling great he's a host <laughs> what a host it's what i do <laughs> i came up with the word that's incorrect for it because you're 100 percent right we were kind of actually talking about it on the way here when i was bringing you into the city but the word that i kind of came up with which again isn't right is anti-discipline there's an aspect where you have to get out of your discipline to get into another discipline yeah, yeah, in order to kind of reset your frame of thinking. There's that aspect of you have to get into the discipline of like not having any discipline, like rest basically mm-hmm. so that you can get into that aspect of always checking back to center. Always. Yeah. Either improvising or right. recovering from a mistake yeah. or something like that. hundred percent. I mean, since I'm, since I am so dedicated to music, like I, I typically analogize to music, but I've often said like, if I go see a performer, I learn more from the way they recover from a mistake than if they played a perfect gig. Right. And you, you learn from, you learn how their brain works kind of, or how their heart works in a lot of ways too. Like, am I going to let it Am I going to let it I absolutely agree with that. All fall apart now. Am I going to focus on the one thing that's wrong or the other things that are right? Am right. I going to like am I going to recover because of the momentum of what has gone well for me right. or am I going to get hung up on that one little thing that is just going to like let it break my spirit? And and I can hear especially in jazz players as they're improvising that like recovery thing where they slip, you know, cuz you're only sometimes a half note away from yeah, you're like a half step away from the right note, you right. know, and you can hear him just like slide into it so, so masterfully. There's um, 
There's a movie, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but it's a Jimmy Cagney film from like back in the day. I, I love like black and whites and stuff. Yeah. There's one where he's coming down this big grand curved staircase and he's got like these like flat, like almost tap shoes on. And I think it was a Cecil B. DeMille. I think he was directing it. I think I could be wrong about this, but he's coming down the staircase and it's like the end of the movie and he, he trips like about halfway down this big grand staircase yeah. and he trips, but rather than like fall on his face, he sort of does this like tap, 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 to tap, to tap, 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 like down, like he's dancing down the steps all of a sudden. And at the end of the take, the director's like, I loved that. He goes, Oh, we got to do, we got to do that one more time. If you got another one of those in you, that was amazing. He goes, I couldn't do that again if I tried, but that's the grace by which, our gifts meet our imperfections yeah. meets our moment meets the life, you know, and all those things come together. It's like, what can you do in the moment when you've dropped the ball? How fast can you recover the ball and shoot that half court shot or whatever right. it has to be? You know, I'm done. <laughs> you, you're giving us, we're both thinking, I think. If you're sitting there wondering where the direction of this podcast is going, it's all connected. <laughs> It is. This uh, season two has been very philosophical. The creative message of this, this is podcast great. is everything is connected. <laughs> there is a certain element. Well, it's it's interesting. I kind of want to riff off of that to get us a little bit back on track, but not really. Um, I was talking to a painter, my girlfriend, and she's like, I have a bunch of half-finished projects, and I hate most of them, but I need to finish them. Mm. And there is an aspect of... She, she hated them for one reason or another, right? If, I, if I'm putting myself in her shoes, I probably messed up one or two or should have done this and should have done that. Mm. But there's still an aspect of I still need to finish so that it's finished and I can learn from it. I'll throw out the painting, burn it, whatever you want to do. What's ever more lethargic for you? Cathartic? Cathartic for you? Um, those are two very different words. Cathargic. <laughs> um, <laughs> write that one <laughs> My, I'm going to get a text message from my mom. I already feel it when she listens to me. And that, neither of those words were correct. Um, <laughs> She's a grammar jammer, huh? She is. And I love her for it. I love. Her. I would have not made it through high school from a from a grammar perspective or college if she had not read most of my papers and edited them for me. Um, but there's that aspect of you need to finish mm-hmm. the imperfection. You need to. F- you, you there's. You need to slide into it. So you can learn from that mistake. Yeah, yeah. Maybe sometimes you hitting that on the hitting as a drummer hitting that tom on the and instead of on the two mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the fill will lead you to a sick, awesome fill that you're going to incorporate into the rest of your life. Right, exactly. Because if he if he just if he just walked gracefully down the staircase, I wouldn't have remembered that scene. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And there's so many scenes that like from other movies. I think of uh, the Hateful Eight. In the perspective of Martin doesn't put out, doesn't allow people to have classic guitars anymore from the museum because, I forget the actor's name, was so enthralled in the scene that he legitimately, they were supposed to cut, he was supposed to smash a replica. He didn't, they didn't cut, he just grabbed it and smashed a very rare 1860s Martin, Mm. 1880s Martin, you know, like. They don't exist. Like that was one of three, maybe, right, right. that are still in existence. And 
you I wouldn't remember the hateful eight if it wasn't for that scene. I'm not gonna lie, it's Quentin Tarantino, but sorry, buddy. Um I don't remember that scene. But I didn't know that guitar was important. Yeah. You can actually see the one actress break character. She looks over at the crew, but like, whoa, what just happened? Sure. And it's for a split second before yeah. they cut. But is, is it as magical as when Leonardo DiCaprio accidentally stabs himself with a fork? Thank you. And breaks the glass in Django, and he goes oh, that's through what it. it is. He breaks yeah. the glass. No, it's perfect. Cuts his hand that's open. That's great. Example. Stays in character. And that if he didn't do it, that holy different complete performance mm-hmm. it makes his character mm-hmm. even more scary mm-hmm. this is the power of improvisation yeah. right i mean and this is kind of why we all and this, is what, this is what we're here for today and right? finishing we're talking about, the imperfection yeah. and finishing it not necessarily it doesn't need to and here's the pivot it doesn't need to be showy it just needs to get finished mm-hmm. and it needs to be in character yeah i feel a segue coming on <laughs> I mean, I set you up perfectly for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I want to segue into... Gordy brought up something pre-podcast about showmanship. And Frank had touched on it once or twice, I think in one of the two or three takes Mm -hmm. that didn't get published through that I have. And I kind of want to hear your thought on it because it's a great example in the social media age. And I'm sure other people... I. Sorry, I don't remember my podcast that well. I'm sure other people have touched on it. Sure. But I want to get into it with however much time we have left. Where, what are we, as the Creative Journey podcast, we're looking to, Gordy said it perfectly earlier, proselytize or disciple people back into this place of Evangel- what is if, not, evangelize. Not, I'm not making disciples out of this. <sighs> uh, um, I, I, would, I would go so far to say that there is a good news that's worth sharing about. Yeah. And that's called feeling. The, sure. re, like the reserved right to feel things deeply and that, okay. So now that you've given me permission to go on to, to start this, start the tangent. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to start by saying, I think for the past couple months, I've been on a, I've been on a campaign trying to, trying to kill the word vibe from my vocabulary because I can't stand the word vibe. It's kind of what, like, for. It's short for vibration, but we're not using it to mean vibration anymore. We're just using it as a blanket word for anything we don't have the vernacular to describe, <laughs> which is, which on, on a creative front is okay. I'll, like, I'll accept that. Like, sometimes words fail you and you just kind of. But you're saying that you, you do feel something or other. Right. And then, and then someone will cut and say, like, yeah, it's a vibe. Yeah, yeah, I dig that. It's a vibe. It'd be um, funny if, as a culture, we said exactly what we meant. Like, I, like, I feel something from that. <laughs> you know. Well, that's what. That's me. exactly what I'm trying to do, Frank. Yeah, that's I, it. Like, I like that. When I'm something, with you. when something hits me in the face, um, if I have the ability to pause it, then re- after that, I've like, that's that's effort to like staple into my brain. Like, I don't know what that is. I'm filing it now in my brain. Like, I'm gonna chase after this, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna try to. I'm going to try to understand what that was. I just felt there right on Um, because that's like, that's, that's the person I want to be. I think that's going to help me in, in the realm of creativity more than just more than just, um, I won't even say sponging because like what I'm taught, what I'm talking about doing as a, as a converse action is more sponging. Mm -hmm. Um, 
acknowledging, I guess, like on the on the most passive front. That that's like what that that is to me. I don't know. You could say what like people could say whatever they want. Like obviously, I'm a big First Amendment fan. Okay. Um, people can Good. say whatever they want. Good. I'm just I'm just like kind of hating the word vibe because I want to feel things so bad and I want to become I want to become a an archive of feeling and and knowing how people got that feeling and how how they got me to feel it and um i was having a an argument a really heated discussion with my buddy eric whitmer and i was trying to i was trying to like persuade him of this I, I, I really think there is a universal law for feelings. I think we're all different, and I think things, especially in a world where art is so incredibly vast and niche at times, like nothing's ever going to hit us exactly the same. Right. But I think, I think that there are broad ideas of art and expression that we acknowledge to have hit us in a similar way. Um like the Sistine Chapel right. is something mm-hmm. that we can acknowledge historically. Like, and that, that was my biggest point to, to Eric in my argument was time. Time is the, is the biggest burden of proof into whether or not we have felt this and continued to feel this. Right. It's teaching us how to feel. It's preserving an emotion that humanity felt so desperate to show and to convey in in to chisel it into stone or to paint a ceiling so that time so time can't take it away Mm -hmm. and we don't as a as a species forget how to do it by the time the aliens all you know take us away and their tractor beams we have we have Mm -hmm. these commemorations to feeling yeah and that's like that's what it was like you can put any agenda behind what it is but it's the feeling that we that we seek from it all um there's plenty there's plenty of Jews and and Muslims and and Buddhists that can appreciate the Sistine Chapel for its brilliance for sure. just the how it captures that right. emotion right. so well the same way we can appreciate Angkor Wat or the Taj Mahal or something like that right. all of them motivated by some I like emotion I like here. architecture cuz that's probably the biggest staple for my for my case here that time is the is the ultimate yeah, canvas it's a good one um and so when Frank and I go on these long rants about music we love um yeah, we're probably going to talk about stuff from the seventies or you know the right. the eighties or stuff right. like stuff that stuff that was even seventeen seventies, <laughs> right? You know, stuff that was trendy, yeah. But somehow people are still talking about it, right? Um, and we want and so like Frank's a be- way better student than I am about this stuff, like. But I guess maybe I, I learned this from being Frank's brother. Is like, I don't do I just I don't want to just be content with feeling it. Yeah, I want to I want to like. I want to know what the people who created this feeling ate for breakfast. Like I want, right. like I want to walk into the steps of people who were so good at making me feel this way that changed it. I, I, I'm talking about life changing feelings. Yeah, here. I'm talking about like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One could say you wanted to know what their process was. Sure. Yeah. Was that yeah. facetious? I'm not getting it. It's the name of the podcast, the Creative Journey Podcast. That was facetious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the it's you're not wrong. That's the exact <laughs> one of. No one's gonna remember the Luke Collins of the world. No one's going to remember. Shout out to Luke Collins. Shout out to Luke Collins. <laughs> What's a Luke Collins? 
the drummer that we brought up earlier. Oh, gotcha. The guy who has the guy example. who has the guy who has more YouTube views than Phil Collins. No, that's 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 Cooper. No one's gonna remember the Cooper drummers of the world. Well, it's like this. Okay, I'll just say this quickly. It's Cooper drummer. It's like shout out to Cooper drummer. And this shout is, out I think this drummer. is why. Shout out to Phil Collins. I think this is why I, I browbeat you guys with my whole thing about the classics. You yeah. know, like <laughs> you know how I use Spotify, and you've mentioned that on the podcast yep. before. Like. My relationship with that platform is like is is very research based. It's not really for my own entertainment as so much as it is for me to do like real research. When I got Spotify, the very first thing I did with it, like before the sun went down that yeah. day, was I built a playlist of like the top five hundred records according to Rolling Stone in their entirety in order in one big playlist. And I titled it The Basics. Thinking that if I don't know this, then I might not have done my reading. I haven't. I haven't done my like. I haven't done my um, prerequisite work yeah. for what I want to do as a as a creative musician. I should be able to reference these things and understand anytime somebody else references them too. So if they talk about the Clash's London Calling, I should know a bit of that record, you know. And it forced me also to listen to a lot of music that was outside of my typical comfort zone. Sure. I don't think I had ever listened to like It Takes a Nation of Millions before I made that playlist. Um, but it, it's cool to have that stuff. Um, but like the reason I beat you guys up about the classics <laughs> and everything I'm still sore. is like I just don't want – I sometimes I feel really bad like when I see somebody wasting their time studying the architecture of a strip mall. Right. Versus gotcha. versus what they could be studying. That's a great example. I'm Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there's a million Starbucks out could, there. Or you could go down to like Philly and, and look at the I love the craftsmanship of these kiosks. They, they, I mean, sometimes I hear music that just sounds like architectural strip mall to me. And I'm like, why waste your time it's studying and measuring everything about this strip mall? Sure. It looks just like the other one. When you could be at the Flatiron. we just passed on the freeway. Sure. But we're on our way to like... A place that is special, a place that's architecturally sound, a place that's going to last more than the next 15 years before it needs updated, you know? Or something that's so demanding, it's still being worked on 300 years later, 400 years later. Right, right, like right. And sometimes that's Germany a catalog Green? of music for me. Like the Sagarda Familia in, in Spain. Spain, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, which, which I recently had the pleasure of... of seeing of nice. like going inside and hearing. aren't they almost done finishing that uh i think they're projecting within within a year yeah because um, of because of modern technology mm -hmm. but they but they've mm -hmm. been projecting for centuries now sure <laughs> and that's it, not going to set a record either there's bound to be something else that took even longer i mean some of these buildings took like 50 to 100 generations right. of of craftsmen like right um like a grandfather had to then teach his grandson the craft oh before he God. passed away so he could continue the carving on some of these buildings that we've seen, like it's it's if, if the crazy. original the, Hebrew temple was still around, Gen One or Gen Two, it would be a modern masterpiece to this day. It would be a Sergeant Pepper. Yeah, <laughs> Beatles bringing them up. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record and say the the day that that stuff is not impressive anymore is the day that I I kind of want to just um stop trying to 
learn about stuff. Yeah, it's, it's like the day, it's the day I want to stop. It's creating. always going to be impressive to everybody. It's just a matter of how we perceive it. You can't walk into the Sistine Chapel and go, "Oh, this is a vibe," because it takes your breath away. Right. You can't even say it. You can't even express what it is. There's no comment to make. You're deadly quiet when you walk into <laughs> these places because there's no words for it. Right. It's always going to be impressive. And if you walk in and be like, "Oh, this is cool. This is vibey. This is cool." Then you're the problem. <laughs> I really <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, this it's a cool vibe. Um, I could use wider walls, and I think we want to knock out some of these pillars and create a more open concept. <laughs> and we need to put some pants on David. I can see his junk. <laughs> that is so inappropriate. I mean, free the nipple and everything, but no. <laughs> I can't even count all the nipples in this place. <laughs> <laughs> That one went from really serious to really not real fast. But you see what I mean? You get the yeah, analogy. Like, we like, should have to sign a waiver to go in this place. Like It's kind of shocking. This triggers me. Like, music that's worth talking about to me or any creative endeavor that's worth talking about is the one that you just sort of don't get at the beginning. There's not a word the for shags. it. The shags. There's not like a... Yeah, it's appalling. It's that record. You know? It's that record that you don't know what's wrong with it until you keep listening to it, and then it accidentally becomes your favorite record. Bingo. Yeah, yeah. And those have still ended up in my tops. You know, like some of those records that I, I admittedly, as an artist, did not understand. They went right over my head. The first two, three, five, ten, fifteen, fifty times I listened to it, until all of a sudden I was like, "Oh wow, I totally know what they were going now, for here." Imagine Frank. Imagine never. Imagine never having, like, putting forth the gumption to give that record a second chance. Imagine just casting it aside and moving on to the next thing and then missing out on the camaraderie you have with that piece of art right now. Mm. Um, because you didn't get it right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Simeon. Yeah. Are you familiar with a piece of music called Oh Gravity by a little band called Switchfoot? Sure. 100%. Okay. That was the first time as a... 12-year-old, I think. I think I was 12 when that, when that album came out. Sounds about right. That was, the first, that was the first time I was wrong from the get-go about something I thought I was going to love and then hated it. I actually physically broke the CD, the compact disc, in half with my bare hands. Wow. Because I was so disappointed by what was my favorite band at the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, they hate, like, they're not the same band anymore. Mm -hmm. they, like, they, like, did something different. And it sucks. Right. I'm feeling all these other things I wasn't expecting to feel from them. And then, uh, I don't know. I, I honestly think I had that, that, that resentment, that, like, betrayal stored in my heart until, like, early 20s. Did you hear and it that, again then? And then, I, and then I heard it again. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is actually the headiest, most punk rock lyrical thing John Foreman's ever set out to do. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's maybe... It's maybe the most offensive thing in the Christian music archive. Sure. If you really listen to it. Huh. It's it's ballsy. It's got it's got moxie to it. It's I not to mention the like the production I think is awesome. It was the it was the first album I think that Drew got to their their um auxiliary guitar player that he got to touch in a record. And mm -hmm. what he did for that band was was a huge benefit. <laughs> would you say in that example, would you say that you're talking about something that's beyond expectation? Because expectations are a sort of poisonous word that I talk about a lot lately. Oh like yeah. I we, hate we, we make art for, <laughs> we make art with expectation all the time. And I don't think that we should there. There's a certain amount of it that 
that needs to be there. But Simeon, you and I talked about this recently, that word in particular. When something goes past your expectation, that to me is so powerful, and it's something that is like a uh, something we should all shoot for in a lot of ways, but there's all sorts of different avenues by which to get there, you know, to surprise people when when you're when you're making something and pandering to the audience that will hear it and receive it, potentially even buy it and spend mm. money on it. Um, I think that's toxic to the creative process because you're putting all this weird expectation into it when mm, maybe it should just be for you and like your your truest expressions are the ones that aren't tied to that. The Shags, uh, the reason I love that record, the reason I love the the mess that yeah. it is, is because they weren't thinking about who it's marketed to at right. all. They were just a bunch of girls yep. in New Hampshire just going ape on yeah. a bunch of pawn shop instruments. Yeah. And I love that vibe. Well, you said vibe. Hey, man. Got a vibe check. I'm not fasting say on whatever the word you want. vibe. I just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, say whatever you want. It should be. You're right. Just joking. Um, no, call me the, out. The vein, the vein that strikes me to that sentiment reminds me of uh, same band, different record. Yeah. Um, we are the, the lyric John Foreman wrote, we are the target market. We set the corporate target. And now we are slaves of what we've worn. And we're just not amused, and we're just used to bad news. Yeah, slaves of what we warn, and yeah, it's that's such a frick. What song is that? I'm sorry, I have to ask. Uh, first track. Um, is that of Oh Gravity from, from Nothing Is Sound? Oh, uh, frick! I'll look it up. Lonely, Lonely Nation. Ah, uh, okay, thank you. Which is which I think is a really heady song too, because it's talking about what we're talking about. Yeah, is that um, if we don't learn how to feel. Instead of just think about what we want to feel or like what what's safe, what what PB and J is, mm-hmm. we'll get PB and J for the rest of our lives because right. they'll keep making right. it. Right. Um, and what what we'll quickly be kind of lambs to the slaughter because if we don't start learning that from a young age of like what do what do I want to eat today? Yeah. And if I have to make it for myself, would I do it? You yeah. Know? Or or is it already out there? You know, that's, that's, that's the other big question is like, um, how much, how much music in in my case, it'd be music. Like how much music is out there and do I enough, do I, (laughs) do I know enough of it to avoid the mistake of accidentally making someone else's song? That's why I listen to a lot. I think. So I know what my options are because I know what they aren't. You know. If you guys are looking for for my music, you can't really find it because I haven't really made music. I've been a part of productions, but um, I've had a lot of friends push me for years to try to write songs, and I just don't. I don't feel like I have that gift for one. Yeah, I think I th- think too much like a critic, and that really stifles me from thinking like a like a a poet. Yeah, but it makes you se. valuable in serving a song. You know. <laughs> I say that for myself, at least. Like, I don't write songs either, but I'm proud of the ones that I've served so that I could support it. Right. You know, there may come a time where there's so many people waiting in the wing for somebody to just make content that I might have to just. You and I, Frank, we, we could do it together. We would have <laughs> to just make, because of a, a, an ongoing drought, we might just have to make something just to keep our hands busy, just to keep playing. Well, again, um, we're talking about this balance of like, you know, we do need the 
connective camaraderie of grouping together and working on things together. You know, no man is an island and and I don't I can't think of any record that one person made by themselves that I really think is timeless. Timeless comes from a, a group of like-minded people checking their own egos and pushing each other to be creative about it. And this is something that like I went to a Jeff Emmerich lecture years ago and he talked about making Beatles records. I, I don't I think he worked on like at least six or seven of them. Mm-hmm. And like he's like he's like, you know wanna know the secret formula? The secret formula to making not just a good record, but a classic record is getting together with and these are like basically his words, like minded people who know how to keep their ego in the hallway. And when your idea gets shot down, it should only push you to create something better. You know, and when everybody knows there's a good idea on the table it's automatic. Everybody understands it. You can all hear it at the same time. You go like, this is, this is the vibe, like, or this is the, I almost said vibe again. Um, this is the idea that we all need to get behind, support, and make it happen. And, and then also, feeling small and feeling humble about the process, too, is another part of the balance that needs to check you, you know? Um, Again, back to feeling small, looking up in the sky and feeling little. Like we got to get to that point too, because that's part of expression as well. If you feel big, if your shoes are so big and you're so lit up, you're going to end up making kind of a lot of garbage art sometimes because you get to this headspace where you're like, ah, I, could, I could almost do anything at this point. And everybody will just love it because they just love me, you know? But get rid of that. Get rid of that, and you'll get back to making decent art. Um, so we, we will be, I think, with that said, um, we will be part of making other people's art for many, many, many years because with that attitude, you're perfectly poised to support anybody's new idea, somebody who's un- insecure about doing it all themselves. They need teammates they need people to jump in and say like i know how to support this i hear what your idea is i hear what you're brainstorming i hear this rough thing that i'm going to help you figure out and the thing about grouping people together is that if you if you're a a solo artist and you have a great song and you know it's a great song and you want it to come to fruition but you don't know how to ask or don't know how to put a team together what you'll end up with is a really like gridded programmed premeditated sound you'll hear a lot of programming like you do in today's music but the thing about programming everything and doing it all yourself is that you never get to hear the potential of the variables of what it sounds like with competent musicians around you they can do anything the the sky's the limit when you have a bunch of competent musicians grab a hold of a piece of music they can go any direction with it But if you do it all with a computer as your buddy, as your guide, and the computer is your backing band, it's not going to change take to take. You're always going to get the same thing. Um, True that. True that. Great band name. What's that? Computer Bro. Computer Bro. Uh, Sounds like like Computer Blue. That's also a great (laughs) band name. That's a Prince song. Uh, That checks out. Um. Blue 42. <laughs> Down set. Fruity, get the car. <laughs> he took us in the house and made us pancakes. You guys, guys want to play a quick game of basketball? <laughs> blue 42. Computer blue. <laughs> Your turn to check. 
I'm at pancakes inside. You guys want some pancakes? <laughs> um, okay, something else I wanted to talk about. I kind of lost my my pace about um, performance. Okay, showmanship. That was the, that was the yes. trigger word. Um, I did my I did my preface talking about the curse of the vibe. Where are we at? Are we good on time? Yeah, we got a couple minutes. Oh, it's man. always going to take a little longer now that there's three people. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm not. You're you're not under any time limit, unless you need to get out of here at a specific time. Let's do no, another, I'm not going to hold another you. fifteen right now. Cool. Um, oh, sick, 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 sick. I thought we were way further. Right. So something something we were discussing, and um, it might be worth thinking about. It might not be, but um, everything's worth thinking about. I try to believe that. Um, so. How do I get this? How do I get this rolling? Um, Simeon Francis. In regards to showmanship, in you regards mean? to showmanship, oh, okay. Which part of wow, which, you guys are good? You guys got my ball rolling. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to well, I was about to ask which part of the showmanship you were talking earlier about this idea where we kind of tangented on is what's gonna and we you went off this a little bit earlier. What's gonna stick around? And what's uh, the difference yeah. between actually creating and being a creator and finishing a project, for lack of a better term, and just looking good on Instagram or YouTube? I I have no answer to that question. Which you don't have to. I'm just trying to springboard you here. At this point, I I, I do not call myself a a, a creative creator ish person. Um, I just really really love the people who go the hardest. Yeah, to create crazy stuff and make my brain hurt and mm-hmm. my heart hurt mm-hmm. more, um, and give me a burden for what they were trying to capture. Well, speak about um, the genuine nature of what speaks to you, then. Yes. You know what? What? What's okay. your What's your threshold of what feels phony or feels um, like it's pandering, and what feels genuine to yeah. you? It's, How do your ears hear? It's in. It's in the. It's in the performance yeah. or the showmanship. Thank you guys. Um, masterfully done. You guys got me so on track. We're getting um, good at this. <laughs> so um when I when I was a kid and people would talk about actors or musicians and they would use words like man that guy is such a showman like what a great performer um I think the default setting for that choice of words would have been like like Gene Kelly and Danny Kay like singing in the rain in court jester um totally yeah, those those kinds of performances like were so immaculate and smooth and cool, and like the choreography demanded a lot. I actually I really liked um, I really liked La La Land. A lot of people mm. don't like La La Land, um, but it's I because Moonlight won Best Picture. I expected I saw to Moonlight, not like I, it, but I loved it. I saw I, I saw Moonlight too, and Moonlight to, deserved Best Picture. I haven't. But, I, that was me <laughs> making a joke. Sorry. Uh, I haven't been able to force myself to watch it yet. It's one of those things just like I've seen so many good musicals in my day. I need, I know I need to watch La La Land. You can't not walk away from La La Land thinking everybody just worked so yeah. freaking hard. Yeah. Well, that's the and nod. Won, the nod and they is won to... me. Like they won me through their effort. It yeah. felt it felt like the extra mile cuz they want the extra mile and I mean I'll give I'll give anything attention just just from hearing that just when somebody goes the extra mile because right now like you know we've got we have high standards for production like expense 
and you know what a movie costs or what a record costs to make there's expectations and bars for that um but we still like i don't care who you are like i work i do commercial roofing for a living and i'm still under the impression that nobody knows how to monetize there's no industry that can correctly monetize effort human effort just putting our minds and our hands to Mm -hmm. something to get something done in such a way that will work functionally or in terms of art that will speak to mm-hmm. to a people effectively. Yeah. Um yeah, there's there's you can't really put a dollar sign on that. So what I, what I'm really looking for, which is why I, I can appreciate like under budgeted stuff. I can appreciate stuff that didn't cost much if it, if if I see the effort and the dream, the vision was there. Yeah. Um I can still be touched by that. Um Yeah, so that the money's Money don't matter tonight. And it sure didn't matter yesterday, in the words of Prince. Um, which is another guy who's worked with a rainbow of different budgets for his stuff. Right. Um, and what what came out was always Prince. So there you have it. Like, he's this, an iconic I've, player. I also got to say, like, it's not just Prince. You know, he his, te- <laughs> yeah, his, know. his team building was in, was incredible. His His skill set for team building was incredible because – he was surrounded by and was constantly picking the right teams for the right material all the time. And he had that great sense for it. Again, you can't, you can't build a a basilica by yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? And as much as we talk about Prince as this sort of like isolated genius that sort of did it all, he didn't do it all. He had great people all around him to make it mm-hmm. happen um we're, we're quick to to identify solo artists and say like oh it's them they're right. the genius of it right. but the fact of the matter is their team building skills are just as important as their songwriting skills mm-hmm. um where the where the feeling gets lost for me is goes goes again is in the performance and so where where i think that could go this is all this is all subjective right like the, sure i'm not mm-hmm. I'm just telling you how i feel about this but like things things that like where i start to switch off where i start to feel guarded because i'm getting to that place where like i i really i'll unlock my my barriers from the get-go just to give myself a chance to be stunned by whatever it is and here's how here's how it goes back to being locked up okay here's how i go back to not trusting people when the performance is so one-sided and set to impress that it no longer becomes about the vision in the first place. Like, or, or worse, if, if the vision, if the vision was just to impress. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess, I guess by definition, I'm not a critic because I guess critics like are trying to be impressed. Right. I I wouldn't make it as a, I I don't have the same criteria as Howard Stern on America's Got Talent because they're trying to be impressed. They're sitting there saying, impress me. I'm saying, do anything but, but, but show off. And I will feel something like, like make me feel something so profound and teach me something about humanity because I only get one life. Mm -hmm. I only get one time on this earth to experience raw emotion. And if you, if you hinder that, by by seeing like like on on the drums by seeing how many freaking drums you can hit in a single measure 
or or how much or how much tapping you can do for the sake of being a tap whiz, or how many notes you can sing in one syllable. Oh, right. All the all the yeah, riffing's a big thing right now. Ooh. Like Ariana Grande is probably the biggest singer in the world right now, and she's the queen of riffage. She's also got probably the most impressive range in the business as well. Um, honestly, she. Demi Lovato. Not even close. Okay. Not even close. Okay. I would. I would. I would say. I would say a close. But you can't sing along to it. Then it's not approachable for others because it's virtuosic. Well, luckily her producers gave you something like bouncy, like you know, it's it's good club bangers as Mm. well as it is vocally impressive. Great songs to sing about. I can't comment. I can't honestly say I've spent much time with it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. I I don't know. Like there's. (laughs) Different strokes for different folks. That's that's the honest truth. At the end of the day, I never different vibes for different guys. Um, wait, I, I'm not like I don't want to be dogmatic, but I really I really think that the stuff that we're going to be talking about forever, right, is the stuff that was centered around you locking in with a human being and f- and then coming away feeling like you just lived another life, right. Mm-hmm. And that life just taught wow. you something like how to empathize with people who live different than you. Right. How, like, uh, I, I'm not the first, I'm not the only person who has said, like, if we, if we learned how to absorb art, true art, um, it would fix the world's problems because we'd learn how to empathize. Sure. We would stop spending money on military. We would stop, like, we, we would stop spending money on anything. We would stop I mean. being <laughs> so paranoid about who's going to kill us next because. If the world all understood that, it wouldn't be about um, making sure who's got the most the most nuclear bombs, right? Or who's got the biggest guns? Um, it would it would instead be like a like almost like a it would be this attack of generosity. It would like who could give the most, like or who could donate the most to aid a suffering country or a suffering people? Mm-hmm. Because like if we were observing observing and absorbing art in a way that taught us how to empathize and good art was coming out at a volume that we would, that, that it would be ingrained in our culture as, as how to absorb it. Not just like in the words of Ratatouille, don't just, you know, Remy from Ratatouille, yeah. don't just hork it down, like savor the flavor. Yeah. Yeah. Get the tanginess, Amen. get the, get the cheesiness, get, yeah. get the lightning zip that yeah. just went into this food that I risked my life to get. Great like, reference. Just, just do it. Like, feel it. Don't just hork it down. I know that you're hungry. I know we're all hungry. Right. We're all hungry to just experience something. But that's what Instagram is for. Right. You want to go experience just anything, data, like just data bites yeah. in your minds? That's what Instagram and YouTube are great for. Um, but there's something about really kind of setting, turning the lights down low, turning your phone on airplane mode, and stop playing like. I'm, I play phone games. Like I, I get that it's like an addicting distraction, and it's really hard to just enjoy life when you're thinking that way. Um, but we still gotta, we still gotta like do it. We still gotta do this thing because it's gonna make us love each other better. Yeah, it really is. And I'm not yeah. full of crap. I've we'll be building like, each other up instead of blowing each other up. Yeah, I really, I really think that art could teach us that. I think, I think the closest person that's that's the closest person to do something like that is maybe John Lennon. Mm-hmm. And he was called a. They called him like a communist. Like people called him a communist or like a socialist, at best. You know, because they didn't understand. They didn't understand him. You know. Um. 
but because it's it's because John huh. John built his career on, well, especially his solo career, as a person who learned, even as a even as royalty, as he was an ex Beatle, being being more important than most world leaders mm-hmm. as far as he could say something and people would listen. Um, that guy had such a responsibility to make sure that the next thing that was going to come out of his mouth was going to matter. Right, right. Um, so and whether- that's a good point, dude, because responsibility is a part of it. Like, you think about it, like, Aristotle didn't have, like, a... He wasn't a part-time fisherman on the side or anything like that. He didn't have a job that was measured in monetization. He wasn't compensated with, like, an hourly rate or something that, you know, he was... There, there was an essence of patronage that we've lost in the arts in that, like, everything has to be monetized now, so it's not worth anything unless it sells. But the thing about history, if we really look back, start to understand that the really great thinkers, really great people who expressed themselves really well through history often had some sort of scaffolding of patronage that held them up. He didn't have to hustle to make a living and keep himself afloat. A guy like Aristotle was respected by the community and and built up. People brought him things, brought him meals, brought him not in a kingly way, but in a way that was like, I know you probably have been thinking all day and writing all day and doing something important all day. I wanted to bring you this meal so you wouldn't have to cook today. <laughs> you know? I wanted to like pay your rent this month so you wouldn't have to, you know. And I guess I say that for anybody out there who who does love the arts. You know, arts are getting crushed right now. Arts are getting beat up, not just by COVID, but by our assessment. Our, our The way that we value arts today has been so flipped upside down. If there's a way that you can, even on a small level, express a bit of support, a bit of patronage for an artist that you care about, even in your local community or globally, whatever, do it. Do something right now to help these expressive people, not just in arts, but, you know, not just in music, because that's what we all talk about. Right. But in all facets of art, right. you know, you know somebody who makes a great scarf, you know, help them out if you can, if you appreciate somebody's expression. You know, do do something to um, to acknowledge that, uh, to save them some to time. water the plants. To, right, right, right. Water the plants, folks. Water them. On that note, this episode is brought to you by our Patreons. No, I'm joking. <laughs> well, that's kind of part of it. Yeah, but I we, like that they use that term. Too. Yeah. I love that Patreon decided to use because, I mean, it's a lot. It's yeah. a big process. It's a big dedic- It's a big amount of dedication. We all understand that it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of um, research to mm-hmm. become a good artist. As somebody, artist is almost a cheap term for it. Expressive in any way. Um, because people who cook are artists. People who write and, and critique my, are artists. We don't have critics like you were talking about. My anymore. mom actually is a Patreon to somebody, to a cook. So cool. Because he comes Great. up with these vegan recipes that she was able to twist in order to meet the needs for her mm-hmm. and what wow. she needs. Wow. And it's the same sort of idea for artists, right? Mm-hmm. That's, in theory, it's... I like John Bellion because I understand where it's coming from, or I like this artist, or I like that artist. I support this artist because they're making me 
feel a certain way. I'm going to buy, I should have, I'm going to buy the next Switchfoot album because it's good. It makes me feel a certain way. Yeah, yeah. And to kind of swing this back around from a showmanship perspective, I had this conversation one time with one of my sister's friends while she was more sharing. There was a couple times that Reliant K and Switchfoot went together on tours. I think they did two or three tours together. And Reliant K would open up for Switchfoot. And she said the difference between the two was striking. Where Reliant K would come out, they would play the set, they'd be like, all right, good night. And John Foreman would come out and he'd share the story behind everything and almost, you Mm, know... mm -hmm. Invite you in. Invite you in and almost like share God's heart in a way, for Mm -hmm. lack of a better term, where like she was in... She'd be in tears over Switchfoot albums, which... No offense, I've heard a lot of them. Not a not a ton of their songs would move me to tears, but like there's a there's a different aspect when presentation there, of yeah. presentation yeah. of showmanship with that. Gordy, I think I cut you off. You're about to say something. No, no, you didn't. Okay, cool. But I agree. I agree with that experience. I too have. I mean, okay. For all, for all the homeschoolers out there, I think everyone agrees when I say that Switchfoot and Reliant K were pretty much a sonic marriage of bands that we kind of had to have both of them sure if if you didn't experience both those bands at the same time with the same veracity and volume then um you weren't really homeschooled no that i will be dogmatic about hmm. if you don't love those it's bands kind of like canadians and like, hockey it's homeschoolers and relying can't switch foot yeah <laughs> and the in the absence of a lot of saturday morning cartoons that were just too trippy for <laughs> Talk about like Rugrats and SpongeBob. Oh, okay, and, got like, you, got you, got you. Stuff that I wasn't allowed to watch. Pure evil. But I did anyway. <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> um, that was something I kind of wanted to touch up on too. It was like the. But maybe that's. Why right. don't you close with it and hold your microphone towards your mouth so we can hear your beautiful voice? Okay, closing thought. Um. Why were we not allowed? What's the deal with not being allowed to listen to music or like watch like watch stuff? Like what when did the fear of content absorption yeah. and character compromise be more important than our ability to identify and empathize well. empathize with as many humans experience as yeah. possible? I- because I, that's is something I've that's something that has actually hindered me and I'm still playing catch up today. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I I, ha- I had to be like a closeted punk listener. Sure. I had to be a closeted hip hop appreciator. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I'm I'm talking about like even I'm not talking about even artists. I'm talking about genres. Right. That were red listed. Right. Because of because of a certain nuance that was pushed that I was taught to understand without getting the opportunity to experience it myself. Sure. Yeah. And that's the yeah that's something the parental uh, advisory sticker. You know, there's that same sort of thing. This is not a new... Thanks, Twisted Sister. Yeah, this is not a new idea that we're having here. You're 100% correct. The Yeah, but I'm talking about it from... I'm talking about it not from a political or a racial standpoint. No, 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 no. I'm talking about from a religious standpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the idea is we're... We're afraid in an aspect of thinking and that's a very broad categorization i think the biggest switch for speaking from experience 
because of you know, I was the same way getting brought up, right? There's VeggieTales and then there's SpongeBob. And no offense, SpongeBob teaches you, I mean, VeggieTales did, but SpongeBob just as much will teach you to love your neighbor as VeggieTales would because Sandy is a very weird person and Patrick is very weird and SpongeBob and Squidward, yet they're all very nice to each other. Love your neighbor, turn the other cheek, um, and uh, to not, oh, and to like, have a good attitude like yeah. good work ethic yeah. too so those uh those who were raised in the right wing as well as i was that that realized that hard work and the gospel pretty much go hand in hand you know shout out to those people like yeah. the way i grew up yeah um that's as bad as political as i get yeah um <laughs> i mean <laughs> um, the, the the switch spongebob might be your show yeah this the switch that was flipped was that of critical thinking and to talk kind of to try to wrap it up in my brain <laughs> you talked about not being a critic but you kind of are because it's you're still a critic cuz your expectation is still to be blown away for lack of a better term yeah you're critical of the art that's coming out and your radar you, can i interrupt you yeah my favorite quote from my favorite pixar movie yeah. which i'm sure is ratatouille is is from the is from the antagonist. He's such an antagonist that his name is Anton Ego. <laughs> I forgot uh, about that. Yeah. Funny. And um, it's so hard being a critic. And um he said something to it was it was uh I'm Linguini said something to the effect in a comeback about his, you know, about Anton Ego doubting his capabilities. Um <laughs> and he says you're you're kind of skinny for somebody who likes food. <laughs> and then Ego stands up in perfect posture and casts a dark shadow over Linguini. And he says, I don't like food. I love it. Wow. If I don't love it, I don't swallow. That's mega. <laughs> that is... Guy's, liter guy's literally going on hunger strike for what moves him. That is exactly until he is moved by yeah. the poetry of his medium of choice. I was used. We are in a mind mode right now because yeah. critical thinking is the flip of switch between sheltered and critic. Because if he didn't think critically about that food. And if he doesn't love it, he's going to spit it out. If he didn't say, I know enough. If he didn't have enough background mm -hmm. in what different tastes have, he wouldn't be able to think critically about it. And he therefore could not be a critic on it. Yeah, but imagine spitting out food if it came it's from good. a guy who was born in a different worldview than you were. Yeah, exactly. Imagine that concept. Yeah, that's imagine the, imagine if, if we don't mean to imagine get political, it, but... Imagine if, imagine if you had food that was admittedly your taste, that was the taste, mm -hmm. but you spat it back out because you had to, because the person who prepared the meal was born of a different worldview or belief system. Mm. That, that, that's furthermore, nothing about furthermore food, imagine this idea. Imagine because you had to spit out things created by people of different worldview and belief system, imagine that society had to cre create a subcategory, a subgenre 
of all those dishes that you learned to already know and like, mm -hmm. but then make sure that they could be created by people who shared your worldview and perspective and belief system so that you could continue to eat it without guilt. Yeah, you're rather, exposing yourself to a fraction of what's... Rather what's than just remove the guilt. <laughs> yeah. Rather than just get over the, the stigma of, of what you think you should feel guilty about. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame. Ah, that's good enough to end on for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Gord, thanks so much. Thank you. For sharing all of that. We had one topic in mind and we went somewhere else with it. Um, but man, you really covered a lot today, a lot to think about. And I'm... I'm it's, it's, it'll be rolling around in the back of my head for quite a while. That's great. For Thanks sure. so much for today. For sure. Thank it was you awesome, so much man. for coming on. Thank what you, a wonderful guys. brother to have, man. This is a cool operation. You guys should keep doing it. <laughs> well, you should keep doing it, too. Yeah. You're um, welcome this, back anytime. This won't be yeah. your last time here. No. <laughs> guys, There's thanks. a lot more to talk about with you, I think. Thanks my for brother. listening. We'll see you next time, guys. See you, guys.